0: Welcome to 5th Wall's Fly on the Wall podcast, where we explore the shifts occurring in real estate, technology, and society that are driving our cities towards a more equitable, green, and tech-enabled future. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In today's episode, I catch up with Alan Yang, ceo and co-founder of logistics real estate investment firm gcp we discuss how the rise of e-commerce and logistics have influenced the growth of the industrial sector and alan shares thoughts around the convergence of retail and technology such as how advancements in consumer data are impacting supply chain management enjoy the conversation well alan thanks so much for joining where are you Coming in from with that beautiful wood ceiling behind you? Uh, well, I'm in LA. We've been uh, hanging
1: out here, um, not really going anywhere. My travels dramatically reduced, so
0: I'm getting to enjoy uh, my wood ceiling. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, um, can you maybe just start by giving people your background, um, just like your career in real estate, all the way from when I used to copy your models uh, at, at Blackstone <laughs> to, to now your prolific career?
1: <laughs> <laughs> None as prolific as yours, but um, sure. So we obviously go way, way back to our analyst days um, when, uh, when we're all uh, very young bucks running around at Blackstone doing the biggest deals uh, ever done, um, like EOP and Hilton. So um, I started my career Merrill Lynch, actually in investment banking, but after a year of that, um, went to Blackstone, um, followed a similar step as one of your previous guests, Tyler and Ritzy, and um, got to know you know you and a bunch of the other Blackstone folks. And um, after Blackstone, um, I joined GLP, uh, um, which at the time was an Asia-focused logistics real estate owner and operator. Um, and really as CIO at GLP, um, helped expand their footprint globally to include the US, Europe and India and also to privatize the business. Um, and since GLP, um, following uh, you know large monetization last year where we sold um, three of our US funds for 19 billion or 18.7 billion to Blackstone, um, we launched uh, our own firm called GCP um, last year. And so now, Um, that is, uh, my primary business.
0: Nice. Well, you, uh, as I said, have a prolific career in industrial real estate, and I feel like there's so much that's going on with industrial real estate right now. So maybe like backing up, you know, if you were to rewind the clock 10 years ago, I'm curious, like from a, just a macro perspective, what was the thesis around why? international industrial real estate was just poised for growth just walk me through that analysis when you were thinking that through well
1: it probably wasn't that fully evolved at that time so if you take it back literally 10 years to 2010 that's when i was still at blackstone and blackstone was just entering the industrial space for the first time Um, and at that time You know, the thesis really was that was the first opportunity where we could invest in logistics, or we called it industrial back then, in any sort of scale. Um, It traditionally had been a brick by brick um, sort of build a building, get it leased and slowly uh, build up a presence. Um, By that time, there was some foreselling and distress coming out of the the financial crisis. And so that was the first opportunity um, that a firm like Blackstone and a few others could move um, in decent scale. Really, the thesis around you know how logistics was poised for growth came after that wave. To me personally, um, when I joined GLP, and so simultaneous, there was a lot of factors or a confluence of factors coming together at that time. So you had the Black Sons of the World who had made opportunistic bets coming out of financial crisis, um, wanting to exit and having to match capital, longer-term strategic capital with those opportunities. And there was also um, the rise of e-commerce where leasing trends and demand for logistics started to decouple with traditional drivers like GDP growth and purchasing managers index and imports and exports. And the third piece uh, for me was seeing at GLP the proliferation of e-commerce in China and organized retail really um, following, you know, what was the SARS outbreak there and skipping a generation of retail and going straight to e-commerce. So e-commerce penetration um, was at the time already, you know, by any estimate five to 10 years ahead of what it was in the U.S. And so when you linked together that consolidation opportunity with, you know, increasing demand from e-commerce or the rise of e-commerce in the U.S. with what, could be expected in the future based on what we're seeing in other, you know, sort of, you know, powerful consumption economies. That's where everything started to click. Um, and to see longer term, I think, um, I guess asymmetric growth or, um, you know, um, decoupled growth, uh, in logistics. Right.
0: And, and when you think about the industrial real estate ecosystem, right. I mean, there's, There's so many components to it. And, you know, as someone who obviously is on the tech side, um, I don't feel quite as familiar with it as I'm sure you are. The way I think about it is like whenever you're flying into an airport, um, as you look around the airport and you see these gigantic boxes and you're like, I wonder what happens inside that building. It's usually industrial real estate. At least that's kind of, you know, my proxy. But can you like almost unbundle, what are the major components of industrial real estate? And like, how do you look at them as part of a supply chain?
1: Yeah. So, um, there's a lot there. (laughs) Um, so the logistics, real estate, um, and what we do, we, you know, obviously we specialize in logistics, real estate, but we also, I think, participate in the broader logistics ecosystem, which is really the storage and movement of goods and commerce. Right. And so, um, the box is, traditionally meant to be the warehouse of inventory or goods. Increasingly, it's becoming a connecting point for the broader ecosystem. And so that includes, (coughs) um, you know, the service side. So the labor, uh, the trucking, the shipping, uh, and the retail inventory, right? And so as a connecting point within the broader logistics ecosystem, it starts to play a, a larger and larger role going forward, as more and more goods are flowing through the warehouses because of e-commerce. Right? It's no longer just there to store until you move from B to B or within your own sort of um, supply chain to your, you know, your your end con- customer through retail channels. Now it's going direct to consumer, and so um, with that, the ecosystem has grown tremendously uh, through really technology and innovation. So. At the end of the day, you know, I view it as really there's, there's two sources of supply for logistics. One is uh, or e-commerce, you know, to, f- to feed e-commerce demand. One is the physical warehouse and the other is, you know, technology as a supply. So that's, you know, um, the shared economy. That's innovation like robotics. That's um, uh, that is. Uh, you know the the ongoing um, sort of tracking and data and inventory management to make it more efficient. And so, how we think about our real estate is in complement to what is happening on the technology supply side. Because as that technology evolves and innovates, it will create more efficiency um, within the supply chain, and either our real estate can be accelerated by that, or it can be susceptible to that. And so again, for our business, we try to make sure we keep tabs on, on both. And that's why we work with guys like you and, um, and also some of our portfolio companies on the supply chain side.
0: And when I was talking to Tyler, our, our former colleague at Blackstone, he had this really interesting comment um, that I hadn't reflected on before, which is that if you take any good to get that good to a consumer, through a traditional brick and mortar retail channel and its associated supply chain. And similarly, you were to say, how do you get that good to a consumer at their home? Um, You're talking about roughly three X the square footage to do it through the e-commerce channel, right? So as you think about this secular shift of, you know, whatever e-commerce is of uh, US total commerce, you know, the numbers kind of vary depending on how you classify it, but somewhere between 10 and 20% obviously COVID has impacted that. But as you think about that secular shift, you know, what I'm hearing you say is that technology is also compressing that. Meaning does technology compress that multiple from a three X multiple between brick and mortar and e-commerce? Is that really what you're saying?
1: I think over time you're going to find that, right? That three to one, you know, a lot goes into that again because um, we're changing the, um, the consumer behavior is changing the demand for e-commerce, the demand requirements, right? Going from three-day to two-day and one-day. And then at the same time, the convenience factors of having reverse logistics, so returns are easier, selections can be made uh, more readily. All of that um, leads to that sort of three-to-one factor. But if you think about what's happened over the past six months, e-commerce penetration, depending on the source, has gone from 12 to 15% to 25 to 30%. And if you think about how that sort of penetration has been accommodated, it can't all be through the physical supply chain, that side of the supply equation, right, the the, the warehouses, because it just, real estate doesn't move that fast. A lot of it has come through utilization of technology, leveraging existing supply chain infrastructure, so people using their retail channels as really, you know, pickup and delivery uh, stations. Using the shared economy, like Uber Eats and the Door Dashes, brings of the world, um, leveraging excess supply in the logistics supply chain. Um, again, not the physical warehouse, but sort of in the three PL labor network. Um, you know, a company like Deliver, one of our portfolio companies, is leveraging sort of excess supply in that part of the supply chain, and so that toggle or that tension. Um, but, and balance between what technology can accommodate versus what real estate can accommodate um, uh, will continue to find its way to balance over time. And retailers, brands, products, um, you know, distributors will all, all need to find the equation that works for them because they have existing infrastructure that they may or may, may not want to abandon and they will want to leverage versus you know, a player like Amazon who is going soup to nuts end to end because they are purpose-built for e-commerce, right? And so how that interplay works out over time is something that we pay very, very close attention to. And it's, I think uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. All that being said, there is a, just a tremendous amount of pressure and demand um, to fulfill e-commerce. Demand across the board. And so um, generally speaking, yes, there is very heightened demand for logistics real estate.
0: And do you see the kind of natural extension of that? If you were to play that out over 10 years of e-commerce growth and technological advancement, that the hard line between a asset owner of some industrial real estate asset and the operator, the 3PL, the logistics operator, starting to collapse in the sense that they become one and the same, very much like how Amazon, it sounds like, is collapsing it, but from the other end of the spectrum, right? They're they're kind of backward integrating. Um, Do you think that real estate owners will start to become owners, operators, acquirers of traditional logistics operations businesses that are ideally tech-enabled?
1: I think particular to logistics, um, there's a huge opportunity for that. That being said, you know, Amazon has a very unique DNA and mindset about this, right? To come from it from a technology and operating standpoint versus a real estate standpoint um, provides them a unique advantage just in terms of execution, right? If you come at it from a traditional real estate standpoint, you know, our uh, risk adjustment and risk reward profile is just very different from what it takes to um, execute on the convergence of, you know, let alone operations in real estate layer in technology and innovation with operations in real estate. With well, that being said, I do think, you know, and we're again, very focused on this because <clears throat> um, we don't necessarily uh, worry about the ability to deliver return um, through logistics, real estate, and the competition in that, it's a very fragmented space, we find we'll always be able to find opportunity to invest at accretive returns um, in this space. What will potentially disrupt us will probably come from outside of the real estate world, right? It's, it's the dynamic of, you know, what is our asset going to be worth in the future if the value proposition of land in a box is me is not as meaningful to the rest of the supply chain and what the value propositions along the way are, right? You know, a company like Amazon, who knows, one day they may view um, rent as something they can give away for free, right? In the context of their entire supply chain and all the demand that they can drive and all the brands and all the customers that they are going to funnel through their system. Real estate may not have any value to them at the end of the day, or it may serve as whatever, a lost leader that they can provide, right? And so um, for a long time now, logistics, retail, operating businesses and technology have been converging. And to sit just on the side of enjoying the collection of rent on the real estate side, I think does make uh, one vulnerable or susceptible to, you know, those outside forces, not just competing for tenants uh, and, and rental rates and so uh, um, but again, to really leverage that convergence, it does take I think, a unique mindset, it takes a unique skill set, it takes a broader um, purview and spectrum of sort of what risk really should be for your business, right um and that you know that level of experimentation um you know hasn't really traditionally uh, been found in in real estate, you know real estate's viewed as good net worth aggregation vehicle, a good cash flow vehicle, an asset class, as opposed to something that should be experimented uh, with. But in in logistics in particular, because things are evolving so fast, because consumer behavior is changing so quickly, um, you know, I think we believe in the power of that experimentation.
0: Yeah, it's 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 an interesting like philosophical point you're kind of raising about real estate, right? Like it, the, the easiest frame I can think of it through is like the concept of percent rent in traditional brick and mortar retail. It's basically saying that, you know, a store in a mall on its own, there's nothing selling inside it is worthless. There's no value to it. It's only valuable insofar as the cash register is is running. And so there's an inherent alignment in the sense that the landlord is incentivized to attract the shoppers through curating the mall in the right way. Um, and in turn, they could hypothetically charge no rent and simply take a form of percentage rent, which is a kind of like micro equity, kind of location-based equity in a given retailer. And what I'm hearing you say is that Amazon may look at it similarly in the sense that there's productive uses of space, right? These goods are moving indoors, right, across the country. And to the extent you can simply monetize as a percent of sales or as a percent of commercial activity, as opposed to fixed rents, which has kind of been the heretofore model of brick and mortar real estate, that just changes the real estate business in pretty profound ways. And I, I do think, I, I totally agree with you that that favors those real estate owners that take a broader lens of like what it is they do, that they are, they are provisioning space, yes, but they are provisioning space to the highest and best use, which in turn has a return that can be delivered to the land and to the improvements, and it sounds like your view is technology accelerates that blurriness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know,
1: that the, what you mentioned is clearly the convergence of sort of retail and logistics over time, right? As logistics becomes more and more the, the channel or um, a, a primary channel for consumption, you know you're going to see that convergence, right? And what technology with 5G and IoT and tracking inventory is going to allow it to do is to be able to understand the flow of goods um, with increasing precision, right? And with increasing precision, you can be more and more dynamic about how you relate to the businesses in your buildings, right? Um, And so that's where, you know, I started with, you know, the warehouse is becoming more and more of a connecting point because as that shift occurs, And velocity through your warehouse increases um, you will have the opportunity to be more dynamic about what your value proposition is for that building not simply just a box not simply just a box with increasing clear height but something that can actually help accelerate one's business right and that you know that's going to take some time to play out obviously but this trend of e-commerce and consumer behavior and, you know, this, it's kind of been like an internal, you know, or or since the beginning of time, people have wanted faster, cheaper, more selection uh, across any sort of good, right? And so, um, you know, that's gonna continue. And this, again, sort of the interplay between how technology can accommodate that and how our physical supply chain can accommodate that, um, there has to be an interaction. I don't think they're sort of, Um, advancing in independent spheres.
0: And when you use that lens, would you look at, say, Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods as kind of a, almost a downstream validation of that? Like what were they doing? They were buying the endpoints, the kind of the cash registers where the goods were being sold. But similarly in doing so, they were getting access to these very proximate to where there's, you know, density of customers, these endpoints where they could actually use as a kind of de facto distribution center. Like if you were, you know, just postulating internally, like at Amazon, what do you think the rationale was there when they made that acquisition?
1: They're very smart people, so I'm not going to pretend to know what, <laughs> <laughs> what they were thinking. Um, but yeah, what smart is you, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> what I would say it says is it highlights a couple things. And, you know, a lot of buzzwords in our space get thrown around, like last mile, the new one's being thrown around, like mid-mile, or, you know, the sort of um, micro-fulfillment potential of logistics, right? And those buzzwords get thrown around without... Uh, sort of a complete appreciation of what they mean they're not really defined right people create strategies um, you know with those monikers, but they're not defined at all and so um, I think what it points to again is this this balance right and even Amazon is acknowledging that there is a balance between physical supply chain and um, the the technology um, uh, aspect of the supply chain so Last mile um, to Amazon, again, I think it's end to end because they're building a supply chain from scratch. Last mile for, you know, uh, a traditional retailer that already has a retail footprint within a major city may mean, you know, a larger distribution center, uh, two hours outside of that city that can reach each one of those retail stores, you know, within two hours, uh, which then can reach their end customer same day, right? And so when you think about Amazon's Whole Foods buy, I think that's an acknowledgement that to get to that end customer uh, effectively for the cold chain, there was not gonna be any other way to solve for that supply side, whether it was through technology or through building it from scratch like they have in the past, that they had to sort of come in through the right entry point of buying existing infrastructure to do it um, and then leveraging their technology within it. And so that's where I say, um, you know, there is going to be this ongoing interplay. They've tried, you know, obviously many different scenarios, physical retail, uh, sort of online retail only. And I think their their ultimate conclusion was the best entry point is to take over an existing infrastructure of cold chain that then we can overlay technology and shared service and labor to, uh, to deliver to our customers.
0: That's, you know, that would be... Um, In you know my view, and as you think about that trend of customer expectations just inexorably growing, like the demands of what products I want and how fast, what do you think the logical extension of that is? If you were to like you know extrapolate out ten years from now, or I don't know twenty years from now, do you think this is a situation where I'm on my phone, I just say to Siri or whatever the equivalent is at that point? I need a new toothbrush. How fast, if I really want to pay for it, is that toothbrush arriving to my house? And can you walk me through what you think that future state supply chain looks like? Uh, you know, <laughs> the, you play that through. I think the, the
1: technology acceleration um, is picking up pace. I think this, um, this world of 5G and IoT is really going to impact that. And one thing that COVID has underscored is, um, you know, precise inventory management is going to be really important. And so, um, as you collect more and more data about consumer behavior through, again, sort of IoT and you know your phone clicks and that, um, you know, online retail channels will be able to predict customer demand and inventory levels. Uh, more and more precisely and i think covid has underscored how important it is not to have sort of breakdowns in your supply chain or be short on inventory when there are spikes and so you know in 20 years i have no idea how long this is going to take it could take 50 it could take five (laughs) technology moves way faster than a real estate guy can can sort of comprehend but um that predictability of demand and inventory management overlaid, is going to mean that things can be very well planned out. So when you do need something, perhaps the retailer or online channel will know it before you even do,
0: right? And, and so, so just to, just to double click on what that means, just practically is effectively the the brilliant data scientists at Amazon are saying that We've actually predicted in Park City, Utah, all the people that have ordered toothbrushes two months ago, and based on our expected utilization, we should have people needing toothbrushes in this quantum on this day, and therefore we can put those toothbrushes presumably very close to the edge or even on vehicles already in anticipation of Brendan's request for a toothbrush, and it shows up, what, 15, 30 minutes later? Is that really where we're headed? or? even ahead of, you know, two days ahead of when you think you're going to throw out your toothbrush. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, And you may end up uh, cycling through your toothbrushes even faster than you do now because it's there a new one's there. Right. And so this demand shift, um, you know, something that occurred that's interesting over COVID is the um, the demand shift with or, or the uh, the composition of demand for e-commerce shifted from. Traditionally, it was called 80% discretionary. So you'd go online to find the size that you couldn't find in the store or a specific good that you couldn't find in the store, or you just price shop for something and found it cheaper online. COVID shifted, 80% of the goods now are essentials, right? The toilet paper, the toothbrushes, the detergent and that. And so those, you know, Uh, CPG fast-moving goods are much easier to predict and will be I think a much higher volume of e-commerce going forward and so those demand models and those predictors of consumer behavior will be easier to develop again you know with data scientists with tracking of inventory with tracking of consumer behavior whether you like it or not that's what's happening right and so um, the supply chain will be able to be effectively built around I think, those, uh, those predictors, um, and so that's, you know, that's a big evolution, right, and, and, and again, how we get there and which players can get there and when they will get there and how they will get there and whether they will convert from their existing infrastructure into something entirely new, I think is, you know, that, that takes a lot of time and um, is, is, a, is a proper evolution, um, not
0: just you know, an overnight shift. And, and sorry, just to press on this analogy a little bit more because I find it so interesting, but like if you were to think about, you know, Amazon as kind of the, the, the platform, right? Like, like a Netflix, um, and you were to think about the content as the product you're getting, you're, you know, you're watching a show on Netflix or you're getting a toothbrush in the mail. Um, a lot of what I've seen Amazon doing is extreme downward integration into actually making the products themselves, the Amazon basics category. And so I guess what I'm asking is, I think I understand what you're saying about the logistics side of it, but do you also anticipate that we're talking about like just in time production? So that toothbrush is rolling off a factory line as close as possible based on all the financial analysis that's happened around the touch points to deliver that toothbrush toothbrush as quickly and cost efficiently, even in anticipation of my likely demand, is that also being done by a single company that kind of owns not just the the distribution, what we think of Amazon today, but also the production of the content itself. Do you think that's where we're headed?
1: So, um, I don't know that's going to be one company that does it, right? I think there has to be multiple players in the ecosystem. I also think that technology has a long way to go in terms of um, enabling sort of all players, all retailers or producers or brands to leverage um, predictability and and sort of uh, this visibility into their supply chain and consumer behavior. Um, There's a long way to go, particularly on the back end of the supply chain, how things are moving, like I said, within the real estate side, it's very antiquated um, relative to probably the sectors you, know, you look at, um, but it's happening faster. The evolution's sort of accelerating um, for a number of reasons. And so, um, so I do see that happening. It should logically follow that if you are able to um, precisely or reliably predict consumer demand, and then therefore precisely and reliably manage your inventory you should also um, uh, manage precisely and effectively uh, the um, upstream supply chain of manufacturing, right? I don't know if that means just in time models are appropriate, but certainly the planning from manufacturer to inventory to end user um, should be integrated, you know, for again to meet this ongoing you know, faster, cheaper, (laughs) more selection, um, idea of commerce. Right. So
0: it's interesting to think about like, you know, the, the corollary, that's why I keep drawing the, the Netflix analogy, which is, you know, who knew they wanted to watch house of cards or wanted to watch a show about a guy who keeps tigers right during, during quarantine, but somehow Netflix seemed to know that. And my guess is that's not an accident. Um, My guess is very much in the same way they can actuarially predict when toothbrushes are going to need replacement in the same way with content, they've assessed all of the watching behaviors, they've crunched that data, and they can almost anticipate now well in advance of what I even know I want to watch, what kind of content I want. And now Amazon and Netflix have become some of the biggest producers of content in Hollywood. And it's just interesting to see that... um, that simile right between them that it it seems to be pattern like the differences we're now talking about physical physical goods and the movement of physical things through space as opposed to just digital goods moving over the internet that's right
1: and you know like most sort of successful businesses or trends there's both a push and pull right and so you know right now it's more pull from us clicking on our phones but you know, over time, as the sort of, you know, um, read on consumer behavior gets more and more uh, powerful and accurate, you know, there's going to be some push coming. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's that's like you said, it's no accident. Right. So.
0: And I guess last question is what, you know, from your perspective, um, with all your exposure to industrial real estate, what big trend in your sector with respect to technology innovation excites you the most? Like, what are you, what are you most looking forward to see the prog- seeing the progress of?
1: Uh, it, you know, we're on the sort of back end <laughs> of the supply chain, so it's called the front end is, you know, what you see with the Amazon interface or so the Shopify interface with, with consumers. I think on the, on the back end, you know what's going to accelerate a lot of what I'm talking about is the ability to integrate a lot of the disparate platforms that are being used today. So that's transportation management systems, inventory management and warehouse management and labor management systems. All of those are totally fragmented and disparate. And so, except for maybe the exception might be Amazon and maybe Walmart, right? Who have kind of all those, all that infrastructure in-house. If those systems can be unified or somehow integrated with each other around perhaps our warehouse um, or the retail or the brand or the product manufacturer, I think that's when you know this model of consumption and inventory management um, can 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 really begin to uh, take hold, right? Um, you know, and, but for now, and there are sort of integration platforms out there, there are people doing really innovative stuff on, on all of those elements and, and they see how sort of disjointed it is from an operating standpoint, but that would create um, sort of another level of efficiency um, that I think, you know, meets that demand requirement of, of, of consumers, you know.
0: Well, it's always interesting to talk with you about all things industrial real estate, which is not usually, uh, or at least intuitively to most people, the most exciting thing to talk about, but you make it very exciting. And Alan, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It's
0: always good to chat. <laughs> all right. See you Alan. Thanks for listening to this episode of fly on the wall. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.